0: this word for the year, and not just because I get a week off, which some of you probably think that is the only reason, Um, but I think it's a good reminder for us that the doctrine, the theology of our church, what we believe as a church, is not built on the teachings of one man. And some churches, that's exactly what they do. They build everything upon one man, and the problem is if that man goes away or falls, the church crumbles. And the picture is what we believe here is not built upon the teachings of one man, but upon this word. And that is taught from this pulpit from different voices. It's taught in our life groups from different voices. It's taught through ministries of our church, through different voices. We have different voices teaching the same word because this word is our foundation. It's our foundation. It's what we believe, it's what we hear to, and may God keep us um, always faithful to it. So with that said, I am, um, I've already heard the word for the year. Can't wait to hear round two. Um it's going to be the same for me, but I'll be amening just as much. So Pastor Jordan, go ahead and come on, and let's make him welcome this morning. Good morning.
1: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke 7. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Um, if you made it last week, congratulations. You still have 100% attendance for 2020, so great job with that. Um, I already see some of y'all looking thinner as well, so keep up those resolutions, all right? um, I actually struggled with my word a little bit this year, and that hasn't happened in past years. They normally just, like, come right to me, um, but this year's word was different. At first, I thought I was going to put my seminary classes to good use and bust out some Greek on y'all and try to make myself look smart despite this, like, Boomhauer accent, all right, and use the word doxazo. And doxazo means to glorify, to honor, to magnify. It's a good word, um, but it just didn't feel right. Um, So I continued to pray on it and pray on it, and the Lord took me in a completely different direction. Um, And I think a lot of us use our words kind of as an action word on on the way we're going to do things in in our walk with Christ through 2020, Um, you know, grow, deepen, prepare, obey, Um, but... For me personally, this year, my word has nothing to do with me or what I'm going to do. All right, this year my goal is to constantly reflect on and remember what God has done and continues to do for me and for every believer in Jesus. It's a much more common word, and someone may even use this word. I don't think that's going to be the case, uh, but you never know. But my word for the year is canceled. All right, and that word canceled a lot of times has a negative connotation to it. Like um, You know, we think of, like, our favorite television show getting canceled. Like, for me, it was, like, Fuller House is getting canceled this year. And I'm like, you can't do that to me, all right? That's, like, the one show that's, like, pure and, like, wholesome and it's got the most fantastic theme song to it. You know, whatever happened to predictability? Don't act like y'all didn't watch this in the 90s, all right? But it's probably for the best anyways. I've never watched that prison show, Orange is the New Black, but I doubt that crossover with Aunt Becky was going to work. See, y'all aren't laughing nearly as as much as y'all should at that joke because Aunt Becky is that lady that's about to go to prison for her college scandal. Yeah, so that joke's hilarious, and it just went right over y'all's head, all right? But I'm speaking of Jesus canceling our debt sin, all right? He paid the debt our sin on the cross so we may have life everlasting in the relationship with him forever. And my scripture for 2020 is 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And this morning, we're going to be diving deep, because while my word is canceled and that's my verse, I'm actually not going to be preaching on that verse, even though I think it'll preach and preach hard. Um, but my, what we're going to be talking about is a Bible event this morning. And I say event instead of story, because when we say Bible story, it almost feels like we're talking about make-believe. Right? Like it's in a galaxy far, far away and a long, long time ago. And it isn't make-believe. All right? These are real people with real emotions going through real things. And all of it points to a very, very real God. All right? But I'm using a Bible event instead of a verse. I can do that. I'm an ordained pastor. And if you have any complaints about today's sermon, please feel free to email Pastor Micah at... <laughs> mstrickland at gmail.com all right again that email is mstrickland at gmail.com but the event we're going to cover this morning is the sinful woman being forgiven see a lot of us still feel like we have to walk in disgrace and feel ashamed of who we are and what we've done and i've said it before and i'll say it again the good news of the gospel is that god is good we are bad try harder all right and there is no place in that in the body of christ Because the world may say, shame on you, but Jesus says, no, 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 bless you. Give me disgrace, and I will crucify it on the cross. We are also going to do things a little bit differently this morning. I don't have three truths to reveal. Again, I'm sorry, Pastor. Bless you again. And how we are going to walk through this together is I'm going to read a little bit, stop and talk, read a little bit, stop and talk. So we're not going to all stand up together and read it all at once and then get into it. Again, The email is mstrickland at gmail.com. All right. Now, in Luke 7, we're going to see that Jesus cancels our sin debt. We're going to see two different pictures here this morning. You're going to see the Pharisee, the ultra-religious of the day, and how he acts and thinks about Jesus. Maybe you're going to identify with this guy. I hope not. But if you think coming to church every Sunday, tithing and not cussing is the way to get to heaven, you might just want to pay attention. Now, the other person is the sinful woman, and Lord, may we identify as the sinful woman here this morning. She comes to the Lord in humility and full of disgrace, and the Pharisee is just disgusted by her, all right? We don't know her sin. The Bible doesn't actually say. Most scholars believe she was, you know, a lady of the night, um, and she leaves Jesus forever changed and told to go in peace. Lord willing, this is how some of You are going to respond this morning forever changed by the power of Jesus and leaving in peace. But before we jump into it, let us pray, um, and then we'll get started. So let's bow our heads. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for this time that we have together in your word. Holy Spirit, stir, stir our hearts. Convict our hearts, Lord. May this time be glorifying and honoring to you, Lord. Speak, for your servant is listening. Be with us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now let's set the scene before we get into this. All right, the action begins at dinner, and an unexpected dinner guest is going to show up. This woman of the city, who's a well-known sinner, she's going to walk in. We don't know the specifics of her sin. All it says is that she is a sinner, and the and in the Pharisee's mind, she's scandalous. All right, so starting um, in verse 56, uh, excuse me, 36, it says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now let's stop right here for a moment because you have to understand this. The people of this time period would have been ecstatic about what's happening here. Because they scoffed at Jesus when he ate with the tax collectors and what they perceived as the sinners. But he is now eating with the upper echelon, the religious figures, the ultra-religious, and they were cheering for this. Now in 2020, we look at these situations and we cheer that Jesus eats with the sinners and boo. Eating with the Pharisees, but it's reversed in this time period, all right? Um, and then in verse 37, it says Behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them from the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, do you realize how crazy this event would have looked in that time? First off, these dinners took like four or five hours to complete, all right? It's like me, like a golden corral, all right? It's not like Disney and Netflix were a thing, so they would have just lay around the table and eat with one another, and they would have lounged and talked, these tables are low to the ground, so they're on like pillows, chairs around the table. Um, And these events aren't private, okay? All the windows and doors would have been open, and there's two reasons for this, one was for a breeze, and secondly, um, you know, you, wanna, you want people to know who your dinner guests are. All right, Warren Worsby even pointed out that it was customary for outsiders to hover around during banquets so they could watch the important people and hear the conversation. All right, and imagine a lot of people would be hovering around because Jesus is the guest to honor here. And by Luke 7, Jesus is already a big deal. All right, he has already performed many miracles. People knew who he was and what he was about. But the one thing that would not have been found at these events were women. Women were not allowed at these events. And I can only imagine this woman who the Bible says was a sinner. Notice that was a sinner, not is. This would indicate repentance. The Bible does not name her sins, but she is a woman with a bad reputation and probably a prostitute. But I can only imagine she is walking by this home with her guilt and her shame, and she has just finally had enough. And she goes in there and she could care less about what these people thought of her. And the only thing she cared about was getting to the feet of her Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, let me tell you this, church, what happens in this place, and it happens over and over and over again. At the end of every sermon, Pastor Micah invites every single one of us to come to the altar. And sometimes, you know, God has stirred a thing in your heart and you're too afraid to get out of your pew and come down here because you're so worried about what the person next to you might think but not this woman. All right, She was overwhelmed by the grace of her Savior to the point where it trumped her circumstances, and she walks in, and love compels her to quit hiding. She is no longer in darkness. She knows what the gospel, the pretending, and the performing are done. They're done. And she doesn't have to carry the baggage of her life anymore. She gets to lay it at the feet of the Christ. And the best part of all this is, she, is that Jesus accepts her Right there in her brokenness. And that is very good news for each and every one of us in here today. And that alabaster jar, that had been the most expensive thing that this woman owned. And she willingly, without question, gives it to Jesus. She breaks it open and she lavishes her love upon the feet of Christ. Now, there are four accounts in the Bible of women anointing the feet of Jesus. Not all of them are the same. There's either two or three different accounts It's hard to tell, really. But in one of them, the disciples rebuke the woman for anointing Jesus because they could have sold the alabaster jar and helped the poor with it. But Jesus steps in and tells them, you have no idea what you're talking about. You see, when the gospel breaks free in our life, we respond with radical generosity, and we lavish our love on the one who lavished us. And this is what she's doing. And then she begins to weep. She is crying over the sins in her life. Let me ask you this, church. When is the last time you cried and repented over your sins? When is the last time you wept over your salvation? You see, this woman is coming face-to-face with her Savior, and she's pouring out her love on the feet of Jesus. A lot of people say that they love Jesus, but when we worship, you are standing there looking like you ate something sour, just... (laughs) right? I don't get it. Now, we are not into emotionalism here. That's not what we're about. Don't hear what I'm not saying. If you ever, but if you ever look over at your neighbor and you see someone crying and you think something is wrong with them, there might be something wrong with you. All right? Because if you have been run over by the freight train that is the grace of God and it doesn't stir something in you ever, something is wrong with you. Or maybe, just maybe, God has never consumed your heart with his grace because she is pouring it out on, the, on his feet. She is cleaning his feet with her hair and her tears. Now, this is important. Listen to me. Jesus's hosts have been nothing but rude to him since the moment he walked in the door. In this time period, three things were expected. All right, the first was when the guests arrived, they would greet each other with a holy kiss. I don't know what a holy kiss is, but I'm glad we don't do it anymore. All right, now I'll cheek kiss my family members, And my 84-year-old Meemaw has kissed me on the lips, but she's 84 and I don't mind touching mustaches. Um, I'm I'm just kidding. My Meemaw does not have a mustache. Hopefully she doesn't hear this. Uh, But I have no interest in giving brother, Brother Curtis a holy kiss, no matter what it is. I love you, Brother Curtis, but I am not into that. The second thing that was done was they would anoint them with oil. Now, there's a very specific reason they did this. They lived in the Middle East. Air condition's not a thing, and they walked everywhere. They had to stink to high heaven. All right, if you have ever been to a youth camp, you know the smell. All right, it is teenage boy three days into camp. All right, they use the anointing oil like a teenage boy uses Axe body spray to cover up the stink. All right, the third thing they would have done was they would wash their feet. The host would send the lowest of the low servant out to wash the guest's feet. They walked everywhere in sandals, all right? So they needed to scrub those jokers down a little bit before, before they ate because you ate and lounged around the table and the feet, the face, and the food were all in close proximity to one another. So you had to be able to withstand the smell, okay? And the host did none of these things. And this woman is anointing his feet, washing it with her hair and her tears. And this is a very unique thing going on for this time period. Women would not show their hair in public. Women would only have their hair out at home in their personal space. So this is indicating that this is a very personal experience to this woman. She is pouring her heart out. This is why in the Song of Solomon, when Solomon says to the woman, your hair is like a flock of goats descending down the slopes of Gilead, that doesn't mean her hair and her head looks like an animal. Don't leave here and tell your wife that her hair looks like a goat, fellas. That ain't going to go over well. All right? What it means is her hairs, are they, they are in their wedding chambers, and she has taken her hair down, and it's falling. It's falling over the slopes of Gilead, and the slopes of Gilead is a mountain. And in this context, mountain means mountains. Can I get a witness? And he is saying it's beautiful. That's what he's saying here. Some of us got it. All right. Now here... She has let her hair down, and she is overwhelmed by emotion. Now listen to me. This is worship. When we sing songs at the beginning of the service, that is not the warm-up. The songs are not the opening act, okay? The whole service is for the saints to get together and make much of the one who poured out his life for us, all right? I get that we're all different, but if the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus doesn't stir something inside of you, and make you want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, then you might need to check in here and find out what's going on. Because the people that feel weird lifting their hands and worship don't seem to have an issue at a concert or a football game. And if that's you, you need to do some self-reflecting. All right. In all honesty, we need to be like an Albert Ramos. And he's out to sea for the next month, and we're going to continue to pray for him. But I would encourage us to all be like an Albert, because before Kyle can give, get even the vocals out of the song, his hands are up. And it's not even the contemporary music he does this to. He does it to the piano and the organ during the hymns, all right? His hands are up. It doesn't even have to be a song he knows, and his hands are up worshiping God, as long as it's biblically sound doctrine, okay? And some of us really need to let that sink in because some of us are looking like we're sucking on sour grapes Anytime a song we don't like or don't know is played. You want to know how Albert can do this? It's pretty simple, actually. He doesn't think this is some religious activity to attend and something we're supposed to do. Okay, This isn't about him. He doesn't expect to be catered to when he walks in these doors. He understands that Jesus saved him, and it stirs in him this attitude of gratitude where he can't help but put his hands up in worship to our Lord. Pastor Michael used to tell me this. Uh, when he was my youth pastor and i tell it to the youth if you can raise your hand when everyone else is like at a youth camp but you can't when no one else is then you are chasing an experience not worshiping god it isn't awkward if you're making it about jesus but speaking of awkward imagine how awkward all this is taking place in the text she is crying anointing, washing feet, all these people around. And you know the people at this banquet are all looking at this going, what in the world is going on here? But she doesn't care. She's worshiping God. In all reality, she has probably touched many men with her hands in exchange for money. But this is different. It's never been like this before. This is a completely different experience. (laughs) While her sin is never mentioned, it is believed that she is a prostitute. And the reason her prostitution is so disgraceful is because sex is a gift from God. And sex is for married people. Listen to me. Sex is for married people. And a marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Look at me, youth, single people. Sex is for married people. Not going to be married, not used to be married, not married in your hearts. You cannot be married in your hearts. That is not a thing. You can get married on the beach. You can get married on the courthouse. You can go old school and get married at a church. You can even get married in a barn. I did that. Got married in a barn. But you cannot be married in your hearts because marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman in front of the holy God saying, I'm going to commit my whole life to you no matter what. Death is the only thing that can part us. And you see, this woman began to believe that because bad things happened to her, her, that she lost her value. She thought the only value she had was through what she did in her prostitution. Ladies, you listen to me. This is how valuable you are to God. He says the only person that gets to touch you in that way is the man who will commit the rest of his life to you. This woman is not defined by the things she has done. She is valuable, and it's Jesus who welcomes her to the table. And this is important. This woman came to Jesus not on her terms, but on his terms. And we see the opposite going on in our society today. And many churches in this country are changing from sound biblical doctrine and giving in to what is acceptable in the eyes of the world. They are no longer going to Jesus on his terms, but theirs. They're trying to appease a broken and sinful world, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. We don't get to change Jesus to fit our lifestyle choices. That's not Christ. That is idolatry. We come to Jesus, and our lifestyle changes because we want to become more and more like him. You see, this woman didn't come to justify her actions. She wasn't there to offer up excuses. She came in her brokenness and humbles herself under Jesus' lordship. But understand that Jesus never okays her sin. He dies for it. You want to know how big a deal your sin is? My sin is? Our cosmic treason against the great high priest. My sin. Your sin. That we've committed. Someone had to die for it to take care of it. And God's grace is such a big deal because he was willing to do it. All right, let's pick up where we left off. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, He said to himself, meaning he thought it, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Seeing the woman touch Jesus, the Pharisee immediately concludes that Jesus can't be a prophet. How does the Pharisee jump to such a conclusion? In his mind, if Jesus couldn't discern what kind of woman this was, he wasn't a very good prophet. In the same way, we jump to conclusions with the smallest amounts of evidence. We never, ever think the Bible is talking about us, do we? But understand, the more we come to church, the more likely we are to become a Pharisee. It's absolutely insane. Yet we always think we're on team Jesus, do we not? But when we walk around somewhere, do you judge and look at other people? Because we have a real tendency to look down our nose at others and say, what sort of person is this? You don't believe me what did you say when Kanye West put his faith in Jesus Christ his Christian album actually has more theology in it than some gospel-centered preachers all right but yet some of us did not rejoice for our new brother in Christ if you didn't clap and cheer like we do when we baptize people here then you are looking down your nose at him and you can say you don't know his heart all you want or say I'm going to take the wait and see approach But do you do those approaches when new believers come to Christ here? Because if you don't, you are looking down your nose at him. We will openly welcome all our new brothers and sisters in this church. Why is he any different? If you ever say or think what sort of person, you need to stop, repent, because you are not on team Jesus in that moment. The Pharisee is ultimately looking down his nose at this woman. And you know what his big problem is? He doesn't realize that he and she are the same people. He doesn't view himself as a sinner. You see, there's not a single person on this planet who is in need of just a life coach. Our lives are just not a little dirty, and if we can just clean up one or two things, then we're going to be all right. We are all in need of a Savior to do what we could not do. Here's the problem the Pharisees and the religious have with Jesus. See, when something clean touches something dirty, the clean gets dirty. But with Jesus, when the clean touches something dirty, the dirty gets clean. And that goes against our logic. Put a sick person in a room with a well person, and the well doesn't spread to the sick. The sick spreads to the well people. But with Jesus, he flips this on its head. And then this text says And Jesus, answering him, or answering, said to him, Notice, Simon the Pharisee just thought this. He didn't say it out loud, yet Jesus answers the questions that never gets asked out loud. Jesus knows this man's thoughts without him having to say them. Consider for a moment just how amazing that is. The theological term for it is omniscience. Jesus not only knows the words that you speak, but your thoughts as well. We are totally free to be exactly who we are because there is no point in pretend. We cannot hide anything from the one who knows our every thought. And then Simon, or he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it. Teacher. Not Messiah. Not Lord. Not Emmanuel. Not Son of God. Not Christ. Teacher. And Christ, our Lord and Savior, is going to give him a parable so simple that I think Simon would find it insulting. And he says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 denarii is about two years worth of wages, while 50 denarii is about two months worth of wages. There's a big difference in debt. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon knows Jesus uses parables. So he is worried about getting tricked here and looking dumb. But Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. If I came home one day and Blair said that Brother Steve dropped by, I'd be like, oh yeah, what Brother Steve want? He said, yeah, he came by and he paid the J.A. bill. I'd be like, Yeah! Alright, that's awesome. Thanks, Brother Steve. I could have paid it, um, but I'm going to send him a text with some heart emojis and, you know, blow him a little kissy face and and thank him for it. And then she's going to tell me that Brother Dave also came by. Oh, yeah, what did Brother Dave need? Well, he didn't need anything. He came and he paid the mortgage. Even better. That's a bigger bill. Thanks, Brother Dave. No, 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 no. Brother Dave didn't just pay one month's worth of the mortgage. He paid the entire mortgage. Now, Brother Steve's my boy, but Brother Dave is my man, all right? If Brother Dave did that, y'all would all be rising and clapping and cheering every time he walked into a room. I'd make sure he had a red carpet everywhere he'd go, everywhere he went. He'd get a standing ovation. That's kind of how light this parable is. Jesus is trying to point out to the Pharisee that somehow he thinks he is not a sinner and the woman knows she is a sinner. There's a big difference. When we make little of the sins in our lives, it makes little of God. When we think we are in need of a little behavior modification, what we are saying is we don't need a Savior. Because essentially, what we did is, by doing that, we made Jesus a little bit bigger and a little bit better than us. He is just there to help us out when we need him. And that is not Jesus. The Pharisee is missing that he is the same as this woman. In fact, according to Jesus, she's worse, or he's worse, excuse me. He does not see the irony that he views this woman as a sinner, but yet he does not think of himself as a sinner. He thinks having the Torah memorized and doing all the rituals and saying all the right things, that makes him good in the eyes of the Lord, and that is not what it is about. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Once you are baptized, that is not the end of the road. That is the beginning of life. You now get to have an authentic and personal relationship with God. So many Christians today, so many self described Christians today, they think once they are baptized, they are free to do whatever they want. This cultural Christianity, this Southern Christianity, get baptized, and come to church every week. And we don't even come to church every week anymore. It's more every once in a few weeks, right? And they no longer have to worry about going to hell, and they can live however they want to live. Listen to me now. The Bible depicts a completely different picture. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In this biblical picture, these people are doing things that would appear to us to be good and godly things. Casting out demons, doing mighty works. But God says that is not the case. But we have some self-described Christians who show no fruit at all. They may pop into church every once in a while, but their lives show no fruit. That would be the equivalent of me saying, I'm a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. But I could not tell you one thing about the team. I own no Jaguar apparel. I have never been to a game. I couldn't tell you the name of the stadium. I couldn't tell you who the coach is. I couldn't name a single player. I couldn't tell you their record. I couldn't tell you what division or conference they're in. I couldn't tell you what the logo is or anything about the mascot, but I'm a fan. Am I really or am I just saying I am so people leave me alone about football? If this is any one of us, we need to see the magnitude of our sins. Do not attempt to justify it. Stop, repent, look towards the cross and come back to Jesus. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He turns toward her. He's getting personal looking at her, do you see this woman? Do you really see this woman for who she is? We need to understand there is a difference between activity and identity. And we get this confused. We think our activity is our identity, and that is not the case. You are not your job. You are not the car you drive. You are not your hobby. You are not how much money you make. You are not your 401k. You are not your weight. You are not your abuse. You are not your rape. You are not your divorce. You are not your abortion. You are not your illness. You are not any of those things. And it may feel like the biggest thing to ever happen to you in your life, but if you are in Christ, no, it's not. I'm not saying it wasn't painful or that the world tries to identify you as that. The world wants to put a label on you so they don't have to deal with you as an individual. They only want to deal with the action. The world puts a label on you, but Jesus sees right through that label and right to the heart of who you really are. And it's only Jesus that gets to tell you who you are. It's not the world. Christ is the one that defines you. And you cannot simultaneously look up at the cross and look down your nose at someone and say, what kind of person is this? Because I know what kind of person this is. I know what kind of person this woman is. This is the kind of woman Jesus died for. He sees you for who you are. He sees past the Sunday morning smiles and the how are you doing, I'm great response, just blessed. You can't fake it with Jesus. He sees you for who you are. Everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, is welcome to surrender their life to Jesus. What are you waiting on? Then the text says, I entered your house. He's talking to the Pharisee. You gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And, oh, excuse me. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Here's the difference right here. This is the difference between the religious and the repentant. You see, the religious thinks that Jesus owes them something. I did this, so Jesus should do that in return. But this woman, this woman here, she understood in repentance that she owed Jesus everything. I heard a pastor once say the distance between you and God is repentance. No matter how far you think you are, or no matter how close you think you are, what every one of us needs. Is for us to be face-to-face with the creator of the universe, our great high priest, our wonderful counselor, our Lord, our Savior. And for that to happen, repentance has to happen. And then the text says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has given little loves little, and he says to her, Your sins are forgiven. If Jesus is but a good moral teacher, he has no authority to forgive sin. If he is not the Messiah, he has no authority. That would be like a couple arguing on the way to church, then putting on their fake smiles and walking up the church, and me running out to them and saying, I forgive you. And they'd be like, for what? Like for arguing on the way to church. And they'd be like, who do you think you are? Exactly. Unless you are the almighty son of God, it makes no sense. If you are the second part of the Trinity co-equal to the Father, it makes perfect sense. Because Psalm 51.4 tells us, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is exactly why Jesus can forgive sins. He isn't saying, I'll get over it. He is saying, I will cash the check your butt couldn't handle. He is going to cancel our debt and take it upon himself. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is going to be this woman's prostitution, her sexual immorality. She is. Jesus is going to become sin and endure the full wrath of God to be the propitiation, the payment that satisfies, so we may be the righteousness of God. Then the text says, Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Ding, ding, ding. That's what Jesus has been telling you for seven chapters so far. He's been answering. You haven't been listening. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. This woman tried to find peace in all the wrong places. She did all the wrong things in search for peace. Only Jesus can offer you true and lasting peace. Jesus also makes it clear it has nothing to do with what she did. As it wasn't the crying that saved her. It wasn't the washing of the feet that saved her. It wasn't the anointing that saved her. It was her faith and her faith alone that saved her. Because she put her trust in Jesus that he is who he says he is. And with that faith, all of her guilt is taken away. All of her disgrace is taken away. Her debt is had been canceled by the only person who could. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ yet? Are you still carrying around the baggages of your life? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you backslid in a little bit. Don't be afraid to come to to the altar and give it to God. There is true and lasting joy in following Jesus. I remember my life before I actually started following Jesus and my life today, and there is no comparison we all have the opportunity to follow Jesus and grow deeper and deeper in him in 2020. It does not matter how you started off this year, whether your heart is on fire for Christ, whether you're not a follower or someone who hasn't been seeking the Lord. What matters is how you end this year. And it all starts with meditating and embracing this simple fact. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. The only way is putting your faith in the one who lavished his love on you. Are you willing? Don't worry about the people around you. Or what they might think. It's not important. What is important is that you have a repentant heart. And an authentic relationship. With the one who died. So you may live. You can go ahead and stand. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. and As we meditate and worship on that fact. I pray this sermon. Has stirred something inside of you. And it hasn't and if it has don't just stand there the altar is open let's go to lord in prayer father thank you thank you for being the propitiation to our sin you are the payment that satisfied our sin lord you're the only one that could have done that lord you canceled our debt on the cross thank you for that Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are unchanging, Lord. No matter what society tries to tell us, you are an unchanging God. Your word does not change. Father, if you have stirred hearts this morning, I pray that they come to the altar and just lay it all down before you, Lord. I just thank you for this time, Lord. We love you and we need you. Amen.